my media masochists, welcome back to The Worst Show on Earth, a podcast where my friends and I continually quest to find the worst that the medium of television has to offer. I'm Matt Murphy, and my kind of dull superpower that doesn't require a lot of CGI to depict is that when I'm trying to get out of someone's way or they out of mine, I will always try to go in the same direction as they will every time. Oh, it's classic. Every time. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming my co-hosts from around the interwebs today. First up is Alex Humphrey, our crap connoisseur. And Alex, what is your low-res superpower? Oh, my superpower is very special. Uh, other people's tech problems don't happen when I'm there to troubleshoot them. Ooh. Yeah, they just vanish until I leave the room and boom, they're right back. It's incredible. From a production standpoint, all you need is perfectly working computer equipment to depict that. Yeah, they just need to like tape me to a room and I don't leave it and everything works perfectly. Wow. All right. Well, we'll get that duct tape method going soon and we'll start franchising. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. And you may have heard our lustrous laughing librarian, Miss Rachel Bieber. <laughs> Rachel, me. Rachel, what's your power? Uh, my really low res superpower is that I know how things are prepared and can tell you if corn is a likely ingredient. Wow. Is that is that useful? Is that <laughs> for, for me it's useful because I I am allergic to corn. It's incredible. Every time she can tell instantly if she's had corn and I can too because she gets angry at me. <laughs> so no dinners at Popcornopolis is what you're saying. Popcornopolis is right out. Also, why would you only have that for dinner? Like, isn't that a snack? I've done it a couple times, and let me tell you, I've regretted it every time. Oh. <laughs> Finally, we have our intelligent internet movie database. It's Tachi, the human IMDb. Tachi, oh. aside from knowing the casts, crews, and credits of any given piece of audiovisual media off the top of your head, what's your low-res superpower? Oh, well, I'm sorry, because uh, here's the thing. I was, going to, I was going to mention that as my superpower, but the, the information that might be new is that it's also my kryptonite. You see, whenever somebody gets details wrong, it kind of ills me. I was watching this uh, show on stream earlier today, in fact, and uh, Robert Zemeckis came up in conversation, and in the chat, uh, someone said, who's Robert Zemeckis? And so that made my HP go down a little bit. And then people started answering, but no one spelled his name even close to correct. And Ooh. I was on the floor, like when Superman had like a kryptonite necklace. Robert Zemeckis, if everyone doesn't know, is the director of Justice League. Oh no. Oh, look at, look at Tachi suffer. I'm buffering. <laughs> I'm buffering. Please don't break the human IMDb this early in the podcast. He was supposed to get a Flash movie off the ground since you bring up Justice League. <laughs> okay, see, there you go. I'm glad that we fixed Tachi. We're out-trolled, Alex. Sorry. Better <laughs> luck next time. So about a month back, Rachel <laughs> made a discovery on Amazon Prime, and that discovery led us to our subject today. It's a straight-to-streaming series called Tales of Marissa, that's two R's, two S's. It came out in 2017, uh, has five episodes in its one season so far, with a combined runtime of about 85 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that, uh, to be fair, full disclosure, 
a friend of mine who is in it <laughs> clued me in that it existed, but uh, I don't think she realized what she had done. It was very brave of her to admit she was in it. <laughs> yeah, was she excited? Was she like, oh, yeah. wow, this thing came out? Or was she like, so this thing came out? And, she, uh... <laughs> she, she was just matter of fact about it. But uh, my friend Athena, she announced like, oh, hey, I'm in this thing. She's currently uh, in Mexico, <laughs> riding out the pandemic. Um, what? I know. Sorry. How do you plan to break it to her that uh, Tales of Marissa is... Amazing? One of absolutely incredible in every way that she probably doesn't want it to be. I talked to her about it, and she's like, you know I'm a B actress. I'm a B movie actress. I'm like, yeah, but like... Wow. <laughs> That's why she's in the scene where she gets attacked by bees. Oh. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, and Athena plays a villainess in yes. this. I think she did a great job, actually, but given the material. That's a great segue into the official blurb from Amazon Prime I have written down here. I'm going to read it as it's written. I even cross-checked this with IMDb's synopsis. It's exactly the same and written by the writer-director... Jeff Riggler. Safe in suburbia, three sisters are being raised by their reclusive uncle, a successful fantasy series writer. On his way to a convention, he disappears. Rabid fans of his fantasy series, Tales of Marissa? With the help of their aunt and a police detective, they must track down their origins. Wait, what? <laughs> that, wait, what? Yeah, I'm, I read wait, that. The detective helps? <laughs> I, having watched the show, I can assure you, the detective neither helps nor detects, as far no. as I can tell. He just breaks and enters. He's kind of like a neighborhood stray dog who just kind of comes into the house and everyone feeds. <laughs> sort of wanders in. Yeah. I compare him to, you ever play a video game where you have a puzzle to solve and you're like, I can't solve it. I'm going to go back to the cave. I know I've been there five times. There's got to be something I missed in the cave. That's him just going back to their house over and over again. <laughs> so I feel like we need to get off the top that this show is incredibly hard to talk about because it is so disjointed and so incredibly awful. And uneven. In every way. Every aspect of its production is about as bad as it possibly could the, be. The credits are beautiful. Yes, that's actually one of Alex's notes. <laughs> Alex left her notes from her... Oh, oh, they all watched this a second time in preparation yeah. for this recording tonight. I did not have time. A lot um, of things happened this month. Yeah, big month for us here. And uh, one of Alex's notes that I found was that uh, the NASA stock footage opening was an A+. Yeah, I am absolutely convinced, by the way that that was added by someone at Amazon Prime because the show didn't have an opening. It's hard to say. We'll never really know. Well, no. we could look at the credits and see if there's a credit for the credits. Listen, the editor is credited as the editor guy. Yeah, I. so not to jump on Mr. IMDb's uh, parade, but I, I tried really hard to find the editor of this project. As I mentioned before, there is a writer-director. The director is Jeff Riggler. I'm assuming his wife, Siobhan, uh, was a co-writer and producer on it. But the credits don't mention an editor, which is a shame because their work is never going to get them into any guild. But I found a movie poster for the show and the, the credits do say edited by the editor guy. I am convinced it is the writer-director. Of course. He edited himself. It's got to be, right? 
Like it you was. can see as it progresses that he is slowly uncovering how to use the program he's editing in. Which right, has gotta right, be GarageBand. Right down to the fact that for the first three episodes, the only transition is the fade to black. <laughs> then somewhere about halfway through episode three, he discovers this beautiful like he discovered the folder of transitions and went through it and found the worst transition you could possibly like the only transition worse than constant fade to black which is this like magical bright swoosh that whoops around the screen that like flies into the ice it's a transition that belongs only in trailers for disney movies on ice uh, and it becomes the default the default transition from that point forward i would say that a star wipe would have been better <laughs> now, I have lots of notes about transitions as well, because in, like you said, we start out with so many fade to blacks. And I got to say, the fade to black transition was giving me flashbacks to film school. It's when, well, the scene is over. So you have, how do we uh, convey end of scene, fade to black? Actually, no, you're allowed to just cut. You are. It's you can true. just cut. And in fact, a fade to black implies some sort of passage of time as explained in the movie Team America World Police in the montage song, where you always fade to black in a montage, fading to black makes it seem like even more time has passed. Point of order, that song was first used in the Aspen episode of South Park. Really? Thank you, Human IDB. Really I, I realize we haven't even begun to explain what Tales of Marissa is. Like, our, <laughs> our listeners still have no... Can I say one more thing about the editing credits? Going to the website, wrigglerdigital.com, they give bios to like lots of crew people, which is very kind of unheard of and kind of sweet to say like, and then here's a bio for the makeup uh, girl who who made everyone look great despite a cast of over 13 people, no small feat. Uh, It also points out the boom operator uh, who is 6'4", over 6'4", making him perfect for the job, later found himself working as assistant editor. You're telling me there was real opportunity for growth on Tales of Marissa. That's there. You, you, yes, that's, that's what I'm saying. What I was going to say earlier, though, is the fact that we haven't provided any context is, in fact, kind of perfectly in line for Tales of Marissa. Right. <laughs> uh, which, to give you some idea of what sort of show this is, the entire show revolves around like these three teenage girls and their uncle who is an established fantasy author slash closet Mormon recluse and his, his magical tales of Marissa and how they are actually true. Except at no point in any of the five episodes, are we ever told anything about what those books are? And the characters, the three teenage girls have never read the books. Despite how popular they are. They don't have internet. They don't have school. They, they're, they're homeschooled. And they don't watch TV. All they seem to be able to do is sit around their house, eat ice cream, and play in the pool. Well, uh, no, that is what they did to be naughty. That's true. That's the cats away, the mice will play part of the fun and games. You're right. Normally, they stay at home and obey their uncle. Yes. yes. Who's a friendly but stern fellow named uh, Rex Cloud. <laughs> That's a real name. That's not an alien choosing a name at all. Spoilers. Spoilers. Is it though? No, it's not. <laughs> In fairness, you kind of revealed it the same way the show reveals it. Like it doesn't doesn't foreshadow things until they've already happened. 
Yeah. Then it will hint at them. Okay, the first scene in episode one, which is entitled Losing Rex, is a sort of like gray-washed, idyllic, but desert-y pasture. There's a small child. There is a Latina woman. Uh, It's shot in day for night. It's shot in day for night. And then Rex Cloud is there too. Um, I believe what happens is there's some gunshots, there's some screaming and crying, and then a fade to black. Is that a brat? You forget when there's a child and she stares at a turtle, and the turtle has lens flare. Oh, out its butt. Yeah, butt lens flare. Yeah, it has the lens flare out its butt. I wrote that down in my uh, notes as well. Now, I have to say, this scene already promised so much because it has such an like an Ed Wood, Neil Breen feel to it. No one has any energy. Like a character hides during a gunfight by kind of like walking slowly, then squatting near a wall. There's a child who just kind of like wipes her eyes as though she's crying, but without any emotion, just like the hand movements. Like if someone's like, make hand movements like you're crying and she's like, like this? Yeah. And then they filmed her doing that. No, they just filmed that part where she's saying like, like this. And And this child is never mentioned or brought up again, I believe. I think it's one of the daughter, one of the girls. It is because it's the girl who can talk to animals because that's the only bit of foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. But then where are the other two girls? That's a good question. Maybe one of them is the turtle. Where's the enemy (laughs) being shot at? We never see what they're shooting at. Yeah. Why is there shooting? We do find out later why they're shooting. It's the one thing that's not explicitly stated. Marissa has a serious problem of telling and not showing. They just seem to go from suburban home to suburban home. And just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Exactly. Who would do that? (laughs) So Tales of Marissa is pretty clearly filmed in the writer-director star's living room. Not star. He did not star in it. He didn't star in it. No, Jeff Riggler is not Uncle Rex Cloud. Oh, wow. That kind of blows my mind. Mm. What blew my mind was casting somebody who was supposed to be incognito and not wanting to be noticed, who was so covered in tattoos. Yes, he had a lot of tattoos. They were, they looked kind of cool. They did not look congruous. Like, none of them. Tattoos usually aren't. Well, but I mean, on him. They didn't look right on him. (laughs) Listen, dads had lives before they were dads. (laughs) If we're, t- if we're talking about casting, though, this show has perhaps the worst case of casting older for younger I've ever seen. <laughs> because the, the three daughters who are supposed to be 19, 18, and 16 and a half, like the, the two who are 19 and 18, I could see... They're TV teenagers. Yeah, they're TV teenagers. I've seen worse. But the one who's supposed to be 16 and a half is obviously 30. She's definitely in her mid-20s at least, yeah. Which one is that, Tegan? Yeah, that's Tegan. Tegan, yeah. And that's not even the worst case, because the worst case is halfway through episode one, when the kid shell- selling cookies shows up. Oh, we'll get to we'll get to him. Yeah, we'll get to him. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, let's meet our protagonist trio, the three sisters. Uh, there's Izzy, Tegan, and Maggie. They don't really have defining personality traits. Um, they do have. They do get one thing that separates them all. They all got to choose one activity outside of schooling with uncle rex that they could do um one of them chose to get a part-time job at a comic book store which is the first one we meet that's tegan Um, that's tegan okay 
and Tegan is also a part-time hacker learning how to make GPS tracking devices on her boss's laptop. Her first line, I believe, is, I've had a great idea for a product. It's a tracking device that's also a GPS. And you're like, what? <laughs> that's a, but that's what GPS... Do you not know how those... Oh, I feel it's at this point, I have to say, I have never paused so many times while watching an episode of television it as was, I did through the first one. It was a little crazy making. It was it was incredible. The last one, her activity was kickboxing. But she has no combat experience. Yeah, that comes up later. And it bothered me. That moment with Callow is, is kind of great when we get there. So they complain about how boring and mundane their lives are. Izzy is trying to get into college now that she is a legal adult, but still living at home with Uncle Rex. Uncle Rex, uh, we, we get home. It's a sort of large suburban home. And Uncle Rex wistfully looks at a portrait of a lady and then like hides it. But he apparently won't allow the girls in his office slash bedroom ever. His inner sanctum. Yeah. It's, they're just not allowed. And I guess well, they've just they never questioned. They may find their birth, birth certificates, which are stuffed on top of a pile of papers in a drawer. You're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> That's the least the episode, thing, too. Here's the thing about this show, though. It, there are so many scenes that we could dwell on and pick apart for how terrible they are. Mm. I feel like it's summarizing it's almost impossible. It is impossible. Nothing actually happens. We're just told that stuff is happening. Right. Or had happened. Or had happened. Or will happen. No. Yeah, like in a weird way, I think the the writing team, the power, this power couple writing team, I think they actually thought things out. Like they set things up. They pay things off. They even answer their own logic questions sometimes. So they've thought of everything. They just don't know how to dramatically convey one damn thing. Yeah. I am very curious about what are the tales of Marissa? Right. This whole novel series. How does it relate to what's happening to these girls? Like, I mean, we are given a really dumb explanation of why they're being hunted but you're already overselling it they're they're not even on the run they're just like undercover right they're just hiding no one's really chasing them till later i have a theory on this point it is my belief that he had already written an entire thing of like the tales of marissa and then has decided to write a show in which the thing the writer wrote was real and so felt that there was no need to provide any context for it that's a fun theory. Because, like, he wrote this for his daughters or something. Because I, I need to talk about uh, Rex Cloud, our... I guess he's kind of the protagonist. He's, he's one of the main characters, for because sure. Because he is a completely unique animal in cinema. I've never seen anything like him before. He is a dad Sue. A dad Sue? I, I'm not familiar with this entry in TV tropes. All right, so are you aware of the Mary Sue? I believe so. Isn't that an author insert character who who is perfect at everything yes exactly and normally stories about a mary sue which rex cloud absolutely is kind of just focus on them fixing all the problems and being perfect but he's got this weird like he's so proud of his daughter's thing going on alongside it and it's like fascinating to watch that mary sueness but like bleed into his three perfect kids who give him lip but never disobey and who fight him but his lessons are always correct it's a fascinating thing to behold. 
And Tachi, I believe you had an observation about the director. Oh, you mean a, a fan theory? Yeah. I could not verify this uh, with my research, but I suspect that the creators of Tales of Marissa are Mormon. I say that non-judgmentally, but there's just lots of clues every, every now and again that make me go, wait, is this trying to sneak some Mormon stuff in here? The first clue being a random Orson Scott Card reference, like oh, yeah. 20 seconds into the show. He's Never... Mormon, true. Yes, Mormon. But um, Mormonism does have kind of a cosmic aspect to it. There is a belief in other planets that God's on a planet that in the afterlife will provide planets. They get into this a little bit in the Book of Mormon. Um, and as far as technology goes, this is kind of, this kind of overlaps because modern Mormons are not, they're not anti-technology, but they are very much a, oh, be wary, use it responsibly, use technology to help spread the word. There is a line exactly to that effect in episode three, I believe, where our dad, Sue Rex Cloud, explains to his stars that technology isn't inherently bad, but you always have to be wary of it always be wary of technology. Absolutely. So I could not confirm this, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard for me to see past this, this little theory. I'd, I'd also chuck in to that theory another thing I picked up, just how generally wholesome like the whole production is. Um, there is violence, but it's sort of like cartoonish. There's scary things, but they're like a haunted house scary. Even the bios on the site are charming because they're just nice. I think the biggest sign is that there there's a detective who suspects there is someone out for the characters' lives. Rex Cloud, their father, knows there's someone out for their lives. They have another person there to defend their lives, but no one locks the front door. Yeah, they never lock their front door. Ooh, yeah. The director does live in Santa Clarita. They establish just one of like the ten safest cities, and this again, we're still at like the first scene. They establish that in the in the, like the third scene of the show when they're walking home from clubs and after school jobs. Again, they're not allowed to drive; like they don't drive either. Like maybe dog, maybe Uncle Rex does, but we don't see it. Well, our, I think we got a. Uh, we might have mentioned the inciting incident. Really, is Rex Cloud goes to a convention and then he is kidnapped, and that is what sets our plot yes. in motion. He disappears. So he's his agent, presumably Max, whom we never see and just speaks on the phone to people randomly. Max has finally convinced him to try to go to a convention to try and get him to like sign books, make a public appearance for the very first time, despite his massive popularity. Reluctantly, he's like, I'm gonna try it, it's local, we're gonna see what happens, and then maybe I'll do it more. Probably not though, girls. Here's all my information, goodbye. They, <laughs> they have a great scene where like, the girls are talking about this while making dinner. And by making dinner, I mean putting together the ingredients in a pizza parlor salad. <laughs> It's all, it's, all. it's so dry and loud. It has a sort of porn acting quality to it. Like everyone, like what she's mixing the salad, she just has a fork and a, and a spoon and she just is moving them like gently around in the salad without any form of mixing. <laughs> without any motivation. It's like they're aliens trying to be human. It's like, this is what humans do. Do, 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 do. They move the leaves. But the girls don't know that they're aliens until like... The end of episode two. 
Well, I'm just saying that maybe the actresses were method acting. <laughs> well, the characters are homeschooled. I don't know. Uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> At some point, I know when I was watching this the first time with you, Matt, we started to attempt to figure out who was the worst actor in the show. Like who, yeah. who was delivering the worst performance. And that's not to knock the actors because they have nothing to work with. They don't. They really do. But they have a lot of words to say. But I, I think, I think having watched the whole show, I don't think anyone could argue that the detective is the least, <laughs> has the least energy of anyone on screen. He's he so looks bad. the most confused. He looks the most like, am I police? Am I, am I doing a good cop job? They matched him up as his partner who never goes out in the field with him. He's only ever in the office. <laughs> Steve. Uh, Steve, thank you. Steve, detective Steve. Detective Steve, who's like, who seems to be a pretty good actor. Like, he actually commits to the to the job at hand, yeah. as it were. Like, his character is skeevy and awful and pointless to the plot, but he does act. Yes. He, he actually conveys a character. We don't like him. It's That means he did his job. Yeah. Um, Detective Sully and Steve, uh, by the way, they work in... Uh, janitor's closet of the police station they work in police headquarters it said so on the intertitle police headquarters which may be a slightly photoshopped uh picture of the prudential building in boston yes you're right it was boston i don't understand why he chose boston to be the police headquarters in los angeles ish southern california but there it is that building if you don't know the prudential here's how i would describe it building yeah, it's very building. It is, it is building. Um, and, and it tells you something that he was like, hmm, I have the world to select from of stock footage of buildings. I'll choose the most generic possible building. It's stately, okay? So to bring it back, we need to introduce Detective Sullivan. So Uncle Rex doesn't make it to the convention. There's like a news report by a neckbeard man who informs the world that Rex Cloud didn't show. And, uh... Max, the agent, calls the girls, is like, where is he? And they're like, we don't know. You're giving this way out of order. Because the order doesn't matter. The order is irrelevant. <laughs> if, we tr- if we try to go in order, we're going to kill everyone who's well, listening to this. <laughs> it's true. But it's one of those instances of us getting information and then them hinting at it later. Mm, that's true. But to speed it up, uh, there's suddenly a knock on the door and it's Detective Sullivan and when you picture someone with the last name Sullivan, you don't picture a squat Latino man. Uh, but that's who he is. So, you know, that's very... That is int- who he is, yes. Yeah, so, and like, that's fine. It's just really funny to me as an Irish-American who <laughs> knew lots of Sullivans. So, anyway, Detective Sullivan starts asking some rather dull po- yet pointed questions. Wow, that's an oxymoron. I'm good at this. And And he showed up, like, right after the girls hung up with the phone with Max saying, like, hey, Rex is missing. He didn't show up. Yeah. That's a point. So Rex Cloud's agent... We don't know who he is. ...files the missing persons report, not his daughter's. Right. Something to that... Yeah, we think he's his agent. He has to be, right? What else would he be? Agent or manager. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, so he, Max alerts the police. Detective Sullivan comes over, asks the girls some questions, then leaves. Well, that's well. He leaves as uh, Kahlo shows up. Ah, yes. We meet Aunt Kahlo. 
And there is no emotional reunion. No, they just kind of go like, hi. She's just standing at the door, Terminator pose. <laughs> yeah. Sully opens the door and there she is. No knock. But she's standing there as if she's been standing there for a while. Boy, talking about this show is like trying to unravel the Gordian knot by developing <laughs> telekinesis. This is just really difficult. Well, that's because we can't establish context because the show doesn't establish context. No context. So Aunt Kahlo is there. Kahlo is their aunt, ostensibly, not Rex's ex-wife, a different aunt. I guess Kahlo was married to Rex's brother. So Aunt Kahlo is there because she's like, oh, no, things are going to be different now. She literally shows up like a Terminator. She's a badass Latina lady. She rode a motorcycle from San Diego to Santa Clarita and, like, teleported there. Yes, and Detective Sullivan, who has come to this house to interview the family, uh, when he meets her, he leaves without asking her any questions. <laughs> if we're talking about Kahlo, I think I should talk about one of my favorite moments, um, because uh, as, we've, as we've mentioned... Um, Rex Cloud has kind of sheltered these girls a little bit. He, he homeschools them. He teaches them very specific things. Like, he teaches them Latin and, uh, you know... Uh, Greek mythology. Oh, mythology. Yeah, Greek mythology. And then Kahlo, who, as we've said, is a badass, she has this moment where she's like, huh, it's time for you to get a new kind of education. And she puts a gun on the table and says, weapons training. And right after she says weapons training, we cut to boxing. <laughs> I love this show. We don't just cut to boxing. We cut to Maggie sort of like, eh, punching a punching bag. But she's like, meh, eh, eh. For I'm those like... who cannot see, Rachel has gently curled her <laughs> wrists and is punching in an adorable cat-like fashion. <laughs> they even go so far as Kahlo is like, have you had any combat training? And Maggie says, no, none. Despite the fact that not five minutes prior in this show have we established that her only extracurricular activity is kickboxing. But that's not against another person. She's never kickboxed against another person. Only a punching bag. Yeah. And at that, lacklusterly. So Kahlo's very impressed with her skills when they spar a little bit. Um, and is and like, are you sure you've never fought against a person? How did you know to block like that? And she's like, she gets a wistful look and she's like, I just knew. Like, oh my God. And then I think we cut to the scene that Alex was talking about where Detective Sullivan shows up again. Aunt Kahlo is giving a sword demonstration by the pool in the backyard when Detective Sullivan breaks like all do. constitutional, you know, norms and just enters a home, no knock, no warrant, says hi to the dog. <laughs> the dog! We forgot to mention the dogs! There's an amazing line that Rex Cloud has where he's like, well, I'm gone, you gotta take care of things around here. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna have fun. He's like, well, don't forget about the other beings in the home. Yes, the other beings. Uh, the animals. Dog. I'm going to defend this. Rex Cloud is an alien from another planet. <laughs> Everything on Earth is just another being to him. <laughs> <laughs> but the dogs that they show in that section, when they cut you in that, is not the dog not that the greets dog. Detective Sully. <laughs> It's not. And you never see that dog again. <laughs> or the cat. The cat never shows up again. Oh, we see a turtle. Detective Sullivan walks in. 
and she's giving the sword demonstration. She starts, and this is where I'm covering for them, Alex. She starts talking about how it's part of her art history lesson because she's knows that she's being watched by Detective Selly. Of course she knows. He walks up to her, stands one foot away from her, stares at her ear. He's, practi- <laughs> he's practically breathing on her neck. Like. <laughs> and she's got a, a pointed, we- she's got an edged weapon. Like what? <laughs> Cops are supposed to know not to do approach someone with a weapon. They're also supposed to not enter somebody's house without knocking and just open the door and walk in and greet the dog. Guys, I can't wait any longer. We have to talk about the kid and or young man. (laughs) (laughs) Knock, knock, knock. They just go and open the door. So someone who who has knowledge of the Constitution (laughs) knocks on the door. Knocks on the door. And it's it's a dude. He's... You know, like He's 25. A He's, He's a, a man. man. He's a man. He's got stubble. Let's play it safe. 15 to 33. <laughs> We're not even at episode one yet, everyone. And, and episode one is 25 minutes. It's the longest one. The longest of the episodes. He's standing there with a white plastic bag. And he's like, do you want to buy any candy? And they're like, they, rather than being like, dude, what the, what the hell? No, get go away they next they cut and he's sitting on the couch holding the bag awkwardly and behaving as if he's supposed to be like 12 a really like young teenager but he's clearly an old older man he has facial hair he has (laughs) visible stubble and he's holding the bag and his posture is in such a way where he's like it's like he's desperately trying to hide a really embarrassing boner (laughs) <laughs> like, he's just sort of, like, clenched and, like, does not want to move or get up. <laughs> and they're like, well, we know you're not here to sell candy because you don't have a box. Yeah. This is the best line <laughs> in the whole show. He's like, I'm here to sell candy. And Tegan's like, where's the box? And he's like, huh? And she's like, the box that tells people what you do, silly. No. And they, they're all in agreement that clearly he's not selling candy because he doesn't have the box. Because <laughs> Detective Sullivan showed him their box, right? Well, Detective Sullivan, you see, he has his um, badge on his necklace. Oh, yeah, that that's like a little whenever, box. Yeah. yeah, whenever he... A flat metal box. When yeah. he, whenever he introduces himself, he's like, I'm Detective Sullivan, and then lifts it up and shows it, and then yeah. drops it down the again. The box that tells people what you do. box that tells now, people Like, I get what they, what they went for, but like, you could not have written a line that conveyed the idea worse. <laughs> Where's your box? Where's your box? But Ryan has a really great reason for why he's actually here. Is that his name, Ryan? Ryan. Oh, yes. S- because he, he wants to win the contest. <laughs> the contest. The contest we don't know about. <laughs> that's never mentioned before. That is not in the context of anything else that's happening. It's like, let's introduce some other outside activity that we can... Talk about while sitting on a couch in the living room. We do find out what the contest is. The contest is f- fans of Rex Cloud find out where he lives. And they all seem fine with that. Yeah, right? I think the contest was specifically to find Rex Cloud. And he was the first one to figure out where Rex Cloud lived, which seemed like a good place to start looking. So he's a stalker. He's literally a stalker. Because Rex Cloud is a recluse. Right. A recluse. Oh. Um, and 
And so this, this guy, Ryan, did some hacking, found out where he lives. So I guess he's won the contest. But also that means there, are, there should be like hundreds of other people also trying to find Rex Cloud's house. Right? Uh, he didn't do any major hacking, as he explained. He did some minor hacking into, you know, the small hotels around the convention. So I want to defend this scene briefly, but barely. <laughs> I think the scene would work all right if he had actually cast a child to play the character who's obviously a child. But Alex, you're forgetting one crucial factor about Ryan. He is the only age-appropriate male for the trio to want to date. So therefore, one of them has to develop a crush on him. And that crush is developed by Izzy, I'm afraid to say. Oh, I repressed that completely. Yeah. We, no, it's, we, it's a little weird. I mean, they started playing video games together. I, there's a line in one of the last episodes of like, I think Izzy might be in the Ryan. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes canon later on. <sighs> we, did, we did not re-watch the last two episodes. I so are asleep. you telling me that we as the audience are supposed to believe that 20-year-old, 20 to 30-year-old man comes to their door pretending to sell cookies and they're cool with this and don't freak out or yeah. lock their doors thereafter. He's literally a stalker that the police, well, he, but he's white. So the police don't care and let him in the house. He won the contest. He, I he guess, won the contest. Did? Kahlo knows, because spoiler alert, there are people after the girls like freedom and life. She knows that there are people trying to kill them. An extremely suspicious person appears at the door and she's like, yeah, come on inside. Episode one ends with a flashback that uh, hints at uh, the telekinetic ability of Tegan and that's it. When will Izzy, Tegan, and Maggie develop their superpowers? How does Hedy Lamar factor into the show's meandering plot? And will our heroic hosts finally get past the first episode of Tales of Marissa? Tune in to the thrilling conclusion next week. If you enjoyed our maniacal media masochism, don't forget to follow or subscribe, and please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Send us emails at worstshowonearth at gmail.com, especially if you have suggestions of other shows to cover or if you're listening from a far-off corner of the globe, like, you know, Long Beach or something. Until next time, enjoy what you watch no matter how crappy it is.